Hey, uh, Pastor Ben here. So, um, John asked me a couple weeks ago if I would be willing to preach this weekend, um, and I told him yes, uh, but I kind of had a really full week, and so uh, today I got up and, and just decided I had a lot of stuff that I needed to catch up on, like really important things. Like seriously important things, stuff that I, I feel so behind on, and it's important for me to take today to really kind of focus in and try uh, to to just catch up on stuff. And so I just want to encourage you: um, make sure you are living out the mission that we're called to have as a church. And uh, yeah, just uh, love God and, and love people, and and uh, it's just it's great to see. You. Enjoy the game this weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, I guess that's it. So let's uh, close our time in worship here. Wait, I made it. I'm here. I didn't know if it was going to work, but I, I caught up. I got caught up on everything. I thought about letting him go into that song for a moment. Some of you were scared. I know you were. You're like, he can't do this, can he? Is he really allowed to? I'm definitely not wearing this while I preach. It's too warm. But if you need something, you can borrow it. So, wouldn't that be ridiculous? If you showed up at church and you're going, okay, I, I got up, I got ready, I got my family together, we got in the car, we came, we, we spend this time in worship, and then the pastor just sends in a video saying, hey, I couldn't make it today, sorry, uh, have a good week. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Some of you would be really mad at me. Some of you would be super frustrated with that, and, and rightfully so, honestly, because even though I might be able to say uh, in good words, you know, I, I've got a lot going on. I've had a full week. I had no real legitimate reasons, right? It'd be wrong of me to have committed to something and then back out of it, right? But see, the issue that we see a lot is that's how we live, is we commit to things, then we back out, oftentimes last minute, just because it feels like too much is going on. We promise to be at something only to kind of ignore or forget our oaths. Or, or we, we get people to rely on us and then live in really unreliable ways. It tends to be a pattern in our culture, but it is not the way of God's church. It is not what we're supposed to do. Now, over the last five weeks, we've been going through this 2020 vision series looking at the different building blocks that are important in the church and how we function and in how we honor God and the ways that God has designed the church to be. We looked at the idea of worship, this foundational piece where we are, we're good with this one. We like the idea of, of worshiping God. We see God as worthy. We see what he's done. We know he deserves it. And so we're good with giving God the praise that he deserves from our hearts. Then we talk about fellowship. This is probably our favorite one. 
Because it's the times we get together and we're encouraged. We're built up by one another. We get to, get to have time together. And oftentimes there's food involved, so we're really good with it. We like that one. Then we talk about outreach, evangelism. As a church, we do these things. We have events every year that we do, like our Thanksgiving box outreach, where we come and we, we get together. We do stuff as a church to go out into our community to reach. We like this. We love the idea of people coming to Christ. And then we talked about discipleship. The idea of someone who's come to Christ now being grown from just being a believer to a follower. And we like the idea of being part of that. These are important blocks that the church needs to have. And today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at the last piece. Now this last piece is not really a block. I see it more as kind of the mortar that glues them together into the beautiful structure they're supposed to be. You may have already guessed what we're talking about today, but we're talking about serving. Serving within the body of Christ. Serving within the church. Now, our church struggles with something just the same as almost every church in the United States. We have this ratio issue. And here's what it is. About 10% of the body is doing 90% of the work. 10% of the body doing 90% of the work. Now, you may be looking and saying, but wait, our church has a lot of stuff going on. We have a ton of stuff that we offer. There's a ton of stuff happening here, and, and I want to first out point out, I do know that there are many of you that serve. There are a lot of you that get involved. In fact, we have some of you that have faithfully served for decades. You're the ones that call us on a, on a Wednesday saying, hey, this afternoon I've got a heart transplant, but I'll be there Thursday morning to lead my group. Like, you're ridiculously faithful and have been for a long time, and I appreciate you. You are a huge encouragement. But oftentimes, and in this church, that's the 10%. It's about 10% of the body. You may be looking and saying, but look at all that 10% does. If, if 10% can accomplish all of these things that are going on, that's good. That's really good, and I agree. I think it's amazing all that happens in this church with, honestly, the small amount of people it takes to get it going. But I want you to think with me for a second. If 10% can accomplish this with faithful serving, can you imagine what, what 20% could do? Can you imagine the impact of 30 to 50% of our church actively and faithfully serving within the body? I think the volume of it would, would just project itself across this valley. People would, would hear about it everywhere. They'd be like, whoa, something is different about that place. Not because, oh, it's just the place where everybody likes to go, but because there's something different about the people. They're actually committed. They're actually part. It's like they actually want to do stuff together. It's weird. But see, I think it would be incredible. I can't even begin to imagine what God could do with 20, 30, or 50% of our bodies serving as faithfully as the 10% do. And so today as we look at serving, I want you to realize there's need here. We have huge need here. But before we dive into what those needs are, we have to look at some specific pieces to help you understand. Because sometimes we have this mentality that is, well, I'm not qualified. Well, I'm not really, I'm not good at very many things. Or I just don't have the time to, to get involved in anything else. And I want to help you understand where those things are wrong and, and where we can be actually honest in evaluation before we serve, all right? So first, we're going to look at Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. 
Here's what it says. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Okay, we have a freedom because of what Christ has done. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, set free from the death that we were bound to, and now we have an opportunity and a choice. We can indulge our sin nature with our freedom, or we can serve one another in love. We can step into what God has called us to, or we can continue living in the way that the world sets the pattern of. And, and we have to choose this wisely. And one of the areas where we as a church struggle with this is in an area we think we know well. It's the area we call self-care. Now, self-care is an important thing, but we need to realize what self-care actually is. Our view of self-care is often this. I've been serving so hard in things. I've been working so much. I need to just take a day for me. That's not self-care. We think it is, but that's not self-care. I've been working so hard and stuff. I just need to, I need everybody to be quiet. I'm just going to watch my show for a while. I just need to zone out. That's not self-care. I just need to scroll through my phone for a while. I just need to, after this, I just got to go. I'm going to go eat this giant cheeseburger because it's just going to be so satisfying. We laugh, but it's, it's the truth. That's what we see as self-care, are these things that will give us the satisfaction, this fulfillment in the midst of, instead of what we've been doing. We see self-care as an opportunity to escape from serving, and that's not self-care. That's actually indulging the sinful nature. It's seeking after false gods, things that promise that they're going to fulfill and restore you and then never do. They always leave you empty. It's like going on a vacation. You're there for a week, and by the last two days, you remember you have to go back, right? It ruins your whole vacation because you're going, oh my goodness, this ends. All the joy, all the fun, all the freedom is done on Monday. I have to go back. That's, that's just escaping for a moment, and that's not self-care. That doesn't restore us. Self-care that is right and responsible and correct is self-care that is supposed to restore us so that we don't have to step out of serving, but we can be restored to step back into it so that I can have times where I am serving, but I know that I've responsibly set up a time where I can be poured into. That's what I'm asking you to do before you commit to anything today. Before you commit to serving in anywhere in this church, I ask you to sit down and look at your schedule and say, if I committed to this twice a month, if I committed to this every week, what days do I also need to commit to setting aside to spending time in God's word that I can be refreshed, to, to spending time in prayer, to going and, and saying, hey, this weekend I can't serve in this because I need to sit in a service every once in a while and have the word of God spoken to me. I need that time of fellowship with the body and worship as we sing praises because I need that. But responsibly set that up ahead of time so that you're not showing up on a Sunday going, I'm just too tired to serve. I know you need me today, but I need this. That's not self-care. Self-care is being responsible and saying, okay, I'm going to set it up in a way that I don't ever have to back out on my commitment. I can continue to serve because I'm taking time to be restored in a healthy and correct way. And that's what we need to understand about it before we take any more steps into serving. So we've got to understand how self-care works, why it's important, and how we can apply it to serving within the church. So I'd ask you to slow down before you just dive into something. Figure out what you can actually commit to while still healthily restoring in the word of God and in time spent with God. If you want to flip your Bibles over to Romans chapter 12. 
Romans chapter 12. This is an incredible chapter. I would encourage you to read through the whole thing. We're going to read a lot of it today. But it's not very long. Just read through the whole chapter at some point this week. It's a great reminder of many of the things we've talked about in this series. Many of the pieces that we've looked at in this series are in here. And there's reminders and challenges for us in it that help us to step forward. And so we're going to start in verse 4 of Romans chapter 12 and, and go from there. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Stop there for a second. Did you hear what it said? We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other. I want you to think about this. When you walked into church today, when you got up and you drove here and you came through the doors, did you walk in going, okay, I'm here at church. You're welcome. I'm so excited that I get to come into this place and I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to hear the word. I'm ready to be restored. I'm ready to be refreshed. They're not bad things. But did you walk in at any point today going, I belong to these people here. If they ask me to do something, I'm willing. I'm ready. I belong to them. Or did you walk in with the attitude of they belong to me. This belongs to me. This is mine. We have to be real about that because we belong to each other. If I'm having the mentality of you belong to me, you're going to see that and you're not going to want to be around me. But if I have the mentality of, hey, I belong to you, that draws people in. That's what people want to be around, not because they want to use you, but because it's encouraging to have somebody who would say, yeah, you need help in something? I'm here. Let's do this. And we need to have that mentality as a church. Verse 6, here we go. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. I love that last line. Don't think you know it all. It's like Paul just had to add one more little jab in there, right? I, I think Paul did that. I think he wrote these things out in the way that he did where there's sometimes these moments you're like, whoa, okay, that hits a little hard. I think he wrote this because this is at a, a stage where Paul's going, okay, I've been wanting to go to Rome, but I keep having to help in all these other churches because I've taught them this and they're not living this. I've taught them these things and they keep forgetting it. They're abandoning these things. And so he lovingly and yet almost frustratedly writes some of these things in going, hey, remember this. Remember this. This is what we're called to. This is what you've been taught. This is how we live. This is how the body of Christ is supposed to be. We as a church are, are facing kind of uh, an interesting time because we're facing a point where where we, I think, are about to run into some dangerous things. We're about to hit a point where, where things don't go necessarily the way that we thought they would. And, and I think it's because of this. Did you know that just over 60 years ago, this church was a group of people praying in a living room? 
just over 60 years ago. And over the last 60 years, look what God has done and accomplished in this area. It's incredible. In such a short amount of time, honestly, for a thing like that to happen. It is incredible to see what God has done. But with that, the tendency in churches that have seen God do amazing things through the faithfulness of people is that we ride the wave of past faithfulness. We hit a point where we look and say, but look where we've been. Look at what God has done. And it's good to remember those things. But the problem is when we're riding the wave of faithfulness from the last few decades instead of looking forward as this whole series is about, 2020 vision, it's about what does God have for us? We see where we've been, we see where we are established, and now we look to where we're going. Our issue is if we're riding the old wave, we're going to hit what what we call kind of a seawall. Have you ever seen a big wave hit a good built seawall? It stops it. Even though you see a wave as one of the most powerful things in nature, it gets stopped. And I'm afraid we as a church could be heading that way, coming up to a wall that we can't burst over because we're riding an old wave. We see this in in Revelations when Jesus is writing these letters. He sends these letters to seven churches. And one of those churches he looks at and he says this, your church is well-known and well-liked in your community. People know you. They speak well of you. It's like he's saying, you guys have a great children's ministry. Man, you, you guys are you're, you're teaching the word. You have good programs going on. This is awesome. It's amazing what you have going on. But I have this one issue. You've forgotten your first love. It says, you do these things because in your community you have a reputation for doing these things. You as a church go, well, this is what we are as a church. This is our church. This is our church as we offer all of these things. We're good at all of this stuff. We have all of this to offer and going on. But if your motivation is just the fact that the community would like you and would want to be part with you, you've forgotten your first love that drove you into those ministries in the first place, which is Christ, which is him. And we have to be aware of the fact that as a church, especially a church that has, is recognized in the community as a church with things going on, it's really easy to slip into that. It's really easy to take that and go, this is good. Look what people say. Look what people see. And we cannot fall into that. We have to wake up. We have to stop riding the old wave. We have to remember the faithfulness as an example to set and step forward. It's not something that we get to just ride on now. We gotta step in and continue this path this pattern forward. God's got incredible plans. But we got to be faithful. And we got to be faithful in the ways that he has gifted us. Back to Romans 12 here. Looking at this, it is incredible to see the gifting that God has given us. If you put your faith in Christ, God has gifted you through his spirit. And he's gifted you for a purpose. And that purpose is to build up the body of Christ. To be part of this body, this beautiful structure that he is putting together. And so if your gift is the ability to prophesy, to speak out the word of God with boldness, to declare the truths of God, then do it with faith. Stand up and boldly proclaim that. If, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. I have a student who's sitting down here. His name's Ty. Ty has this gift of serving. He may not know it, but he does. Everybody around him knows it. Ty has the longest drive home from youth group of anyone in our group, I'm pretty sure. It's pretty far. And yet every week, Ty stays. 
And he stays to the end, not because he's like, I don't want to go home. No, Ty's a homeschooler, and he loves home. He loves it. (laughs) He loves his family. He wants to be there. He makes his sister stay late with him. She doesn't want to stay there. But he makes her stay, and he waits. And he doesn't come and cut in on any time. I'm sitting there, and students will be coming and talking to me, even about things that aren't that important. And he will sit back and wait patiently till almost everyone is gone. And then he comes and he says this. Hey, is there anything I can do to help clean things up or make things ready for next week? Hey, do you want me to take this trash out? On my way out, I'll I'll take the trash out. He does this every week. He's the first one to jump up to serve and to do this because he has a heart to serve. Some of you have that heart. You have that heart. And it's not always about what happens up on the platform. Oftentimes, it's more about what's sitting underneath you right now. These chairs that we put things out and say, hey, we need help moving the chairs. And there are some of you that faithfully show up to move chairs. You're like, I can't do much, but I can do that, right? And you're here every week. And it's not that you're not gifted in other ways, but you have a heart that says, if I'm needed, I'm there. If I'm needed, I'm there. If your gift is that heart, if your gift is serving, then serve. I ask you to serve. We need you, and I appreciate you. Those of you that can step in and go, I'll do whatever the work is, as long as I can be serving, as long as I can help. It's important. If you're a teacher, teach well. Some of you can take what most of us would just read off the paper and you breathe life into it. You inspire people with how you present things. And I want to ask you to step up in the church and use that gifting. You may look and say, now wait, that's my job. That's what I do outside of the church. That's what I do every single day. And, and while I applaud you for that and thank you for what you are doing in that, it is extremely important. Here's something you have to remember. Your gifting was for the body. Your gifting is for the body first. And so if you are using your gifting outside of the body, it's a wonderful thing to see what God can do in that. But we cannot just ignore the fact that we are needed within the body. If you have a gift of teaching, we need you. There is desperate need for you within the church. There are people that need to be inspired and shown. Here's how this actually works. Not just having to read it themselves. We need someone who can bring it to life. And if that is your gifting, use it within the body. If you think your job is fulfilling using your gifting to teach outside of the church, I guarantee you it is more fulfilling within. Because you're teaching things that have eternal purpose, eternal things going on. And it is extremely important and fulfilling. When Jesus came, he says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. You want to experience the fullness of life that comes in Christ? It's in serving within the gifts that he's given you in the purpose that he's given them to you for. So we've got to be willing to step into those things. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. In my youth group growing up, when I was a 6th and 7th grader, there was a girl who was uh, older high school. And we had this thing set up in our youth room. It was a board with all of our names on it. We had envelopes. You could write notes to each other. Most of the notes were like weird pictures that we drew or, uh, you know, the typical middle school, high school notes that you would put in there. Occasionally you get something nice from somebody. But this girl, Frances, was different. Frances would, at the end of the night, she'd go and she'd stare at that board. And she would go, okay, who is it this week? And she'd pick one name and say, this is the one, this is the one. And she'd go home and she'd take this special paper. At one point she went and she learned how to make papyrus. And she like made paper. And she would cut this out, burn the edges of it to make it look really cool. She'd roll it all up. She'd make it look awesome. And then she'd handwrite these incredible notes on it of encouragement. 
you'd walk in that next week at youth group and go, whoa, somebody didn't just give me a note. There's a gift in my envelope. You pull that out, and it was so encouraging to read, hey, I saw you last week do this. That was amazing. Hey, I'm really seeing you grow in these ways. That's so cool. Keep it up. To know that somebody was, was not just noticing you but wanted to encourage you. That was huge for me. I love to encourage people. So I also understand the struggle that comes with that. Because sometimes outside of the church, I get a little too passionate about it. I'll be talking to somebody that I've just met, and I'm like talking to them and walking through, and they're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> you're getting into parts of my life I didn't invite you into. This is weird. I call it passionate. They call it weird, and honestly, they're more right than I am in that. But I'm a little weird when it comes to it, but I love to encourage. And if you have the gift of encouraging, and even if you've been rejected in that outside of the church, within the church, we need it. Use your gifting here. We need it. People need to be encouraged, so encourage in that. If your gift is giving, then give generously. You may have noticed in December we were facing the end of the year with a, a pretty large deficit in our giving as a church. And it was something that, that we had noticed, but somebody had noticed and stepped up and said, hey, we'll offer a matching grant fund. And it is incredible to see what God did to take that deficit that I looked at kind of like, man, this is going to be different going into this next year. And he said, no, it won't. <laughs> And that deficit was completely erased in a single month because of your willingness to respond to God's call. And it is an incredible thing to see your faithfulness to giving. But some of you have a specific gift for giving. Some of you have been blessed in ways that others of us have not. You've been given things that, from God so that you can give in ways others cannot. Some of you have a gift for giving and you've not been given very much. And so you're in this, this boat where you're going, okay, I have stuff to give, but not very much. And if I do this irresponsibly, I don't think I eat this week. Janae and I, when we first started doing youth ministry, we would drive students from Chapel, Nebraska to Haxton, Colorado, 40 miles there, 40 miles back, every Sunday night for youth group. And that's where we ran our youth group at. And so all these students would get in our van with us or get in our car with us, and we'd drive down there, and then we'd turn around and drive back that night. And there was one family who really wanted their daughter involved. And even before she could be involved, they would give us gas money every week. And we didn't think, we were just like, wow, this is amazing. It's, thank you for doing that. But their daughter was in a wheelchair, so what they eventually did is they bought a bus that they could get her up into. And they said, here, we'll drive. We'll pay for gas. And they would drive us down there for youth groups so we could fit all these kids in one vehicle, get down there, their daughter could come and be part, and then come back. And, and we found out through that process, they didn't actually have the money to do that. They would come and they'd hand us money for gas. And we're like, well, no, we, I know you need this this week. And they're like, yeah, but we can just skip a few meals. I mean, that was their heart and their attitude. And, and here's something. I'm not saying that they were wrong. If God was calling them to give, then they need to give and trust him. And so if God is calling you to give even what you, the little you have, trust him. He doesn't leave you hanging. He doesn't leave you dry in that. But also, if you're just giving because you feel like that's something that's good for good Christians to do, you need to understand responsibility in that as well. We have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And if you have a family to provide for, that is a reason why he's provided for you. You need to take care of them. So don't put your family in a bind because you want to give. Be responsible with that. Some of you have a deep desire to give, but you also have a deep desire to buy stuff. And now you're in deep debt. And it's deep trouble, right? A lot of depth going on here. But here's the problem. You get in a situation like that and you're like, but I want to give. I just don't have anything to give anymore. I would encourage you to get involved this next month. We have a class starting here at the church called Financial Peace. It's a class where you can learn how to responsibly handle what God has provided for you. 
I love the heart of this class because it is a class that's about this. We want you to live right now like no one else so that later on in life you can live and give like no one else. You have a heart to give, but you don't have a responsible pattern with money. I was horrible with money until I met my wife and she took it from me. But I know I was horrible. And so we took this class together, and it really has grown us. We're not perfect in it. we still got a lot of growing to do, but it's amazing how much it helps you. And so if you're in that boat, be responsible. Come see me. I want to help you get signed up for that. If you know the Iberos, they run that class. Go find them. They want to get you signed up. It starts this next month. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Some of you after service today will stand up, and everyone around you will stand up simply because you did. Because you have that leadership built into you. Where people just follow you like, oh, I wasn't even paying attention. We're going. Let's, like, that's what it is. The problem with that is this. Oftentimes, those with leadership potential and leadership ability don't like the responsibility that goes with it. They stand up. They see others following them. And they go, I don't want this. I don't want to have to deal with them. I don't want this. I don't want to feel the pressure of having to perform for them or any of these. I don't want any of that. Or they twist it in another direction and say, okay, people are going to follow me, so how can I make this benefit myself? And they manipulate and lead in wrong ways. If you have a gift of leadership, take the responsibility to lead correctly, seriously. Take the responsibility as an opportunity, not a curse. We need leaders in this church. We need leaders. If we're going to start going the direction that God is leading us, we need the leaders who will stand up and take us that way. So we need you. You are very important. If you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Kindness is not always acceptable in our world anymore. You may look and say, I thought kindness was always something people appreciate. You're not in middle school or high school. Kindness sometimes is the thing that gets ridiculed the most. When you step out and do something kind, it's what people are like, are you kidding me? Why would you do that? And it's hard to do, and oftentimes outside of the church, it's difficult to step in and be kind in situations where others have have pushed or avoided that. And so I want to encourage you, though, within the church, kindness is needed, and it's acceptable and accepted here. Verse 15 of this, gives us a great opportunity to practice kindness. And it's one that's called on all of us. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Here's what that means. If the person sitting down the road from you is celebrating great victory in their life, celebrate with them. Even if you're in a time of loss. Even if you're in a time of weeping and mourning, don't look at them with this attitude that's like, that's not fair. How dare God give them those? I deserve this. Doesn't he see where I've been and what I've done? Doesn't he see the service that I've done from? Why are they getting that? Our tendency at this point is, is instead of celebrating, we go and we slander and we gossip about people and we, we grow this bitterness in us and it separates and divides the church because somebody got a victory, a blessing from God and I wasn't good with it. I wasn't okay with it. We have to wake up and stop having that wrong attitude. But for those of you that have victory going on in your life right now, don't be like, my life's good. I don't want to be drugged down by these people. We have those that are weeping right next to you. And in your victory, take a moment to sit down, put your arm around them, and weep with them. It's one of the greatest ministries we can do as Christians to show the kindness of being willing to sit down and say, hey, you matter. 
and what you're going through matters. And I'm willing to set aside my victory right now to just weep with you because you need that too. That's, that's what we see when it says, hey, actually love each other. Don't just pretend. Actually love each other. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. We have to have real, genuine love, and we see it in moments like that. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. We are a lazy culture. We live in one of the most hardworking parts of the country, and we are still a lazy culture. Our tendency is not necessarily to be lazy in the way that we often think, because laziness to us looks mostly like this. Well, I've been working hard, and I don't want to do this. Or, you know what, I just don't feel like getting involved in anything extra. So I'm just not going to do that. That's just asking too much of me. I don't feel like it. I have the time, just don't want to. That's what we often picture laziness as. And there is an issue with that in our church. There is an issue of that. And so don't be that. But there's also another side of laziness, and here's what it is. I'm committed, and I'll show up every week, but I don't like what I'm doing. I don't want to be there, and I become a warm body instead of someone who's serving. I sit in the back of the room, and that is one of the worst things you can do to a leader of a ministry is volunteer to be a person who sits in the back. It's horrible. It's so demoralizing and demotivating to leaders in ministry because they go, I was so excited to have you here, and now you're the one scowling at me from the back because I made you be here. (laughs) If that's your attitude, maybe you need to sit back and understand self-care a little bit better to be restored so that when you come in, you can serve enthusiastically, serving God, not man, and remembering the importance of this. But don't be that one who says, well, I'm committed, I'm in, I volunteered. You're welcome. Stop having that attitude. That's that's what laziness looks like in action. We can be lazy in our serving, and we need to be enthusiastic about it. I think it is important for us to remember these things, and Christ made it clear. As Ken was sharing with you earlier, we, we talked through that story of when Jesus and, Jesus and his disciples are walking. You got the sons of thunder. James and John are arguing, going, okay, who gets to sit on Jesus' right and left hand? We, we want to ask him. We want to go, but they're like, we're a little afraid to go ask him, so their mom does, right? It's like the kid that's like, I don't know why I'm sitting on the bench all the time, mom. I don't know why, and your mom, I got you, and goes and pulls the coach aside in the middle of the game. Why is my kid on the bench? And that's what's going on here, is their mom goes up and says, Jesus, here's what my boys want. Can you just make sure this happens? And Jesus looks and is like, guys, first off, I don't have the authority to give you those seats. That's not my choice who sits there. Second, if you're going to sit in those seats, you're going to have to drink from the same cup of suffering that I'm about to drink from. And they go, oh, we're in. We'll do that. A week later, they're running and hiding. At the moment where he's drinking from that cup, They're nowhere to be seen. He knew that, and he says to them, hey, guys, the the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They brag about it. They belittle the people beneath them. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45, Jesus says, but among you it has to be different. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear his definition of serving? Hey, I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I, out of all the people here, have the right to be served above anyone else, and I'm putting that aside to serve. All of the things that I've earned, all of the things that I deserve, I'm setting aside to serve. And I'm going to serve to the point that it's giving up my life. 
Look around for a minute. Look around at the people in this room. Would you give up your life for the people sitting next to you? Last night, I had a group of college guys, college baseball players here last night, and they're, I said, would you give up your life for the people next to you? And they're like patting each other, like, yeah, I'd do that. And I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Most of us in this room look and say, I think I could take a bullet for my family or for my friends that are around me. I think I could do that. But here's the thing. We all like to think of ourselves in these heroic ways of those things, and I'm not saying you wouldn't do it, but the real question is this. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the people sitting down the row from you? Or do you get annoyed the moment that they throw off your schedule because they need help? Because if you're not willing to be inconvenienced, you're missing the whole point of serving. It's not just being willing to take a bullet. It's being willing to have to to show up and help at a time where it's like, I had other plans, I had other stuff going on. Are you willing to, to put aside what you deserve and to give up yourself for others around you? That's what it looks like to serve according to Christ. We see him live this out Book of John, chapter 13. We know this story. It's Jesus and his disciples come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They go up into this house, into the upper room, and they sit down for what we know as the Last Supper. They're going to celebrate the Passover together. The disciples are all sitting around. You can almost picture them arguing, going, I've seen Peter's feet. I'm not touching those things. John, you're the youngest. You can get up and down easy. Why don't you do it? And there, maybe there's a servant that we can go. Maybe there's somebody that the, the owner of the house knows who can come and do this. I was in Mexico for a week when I was in high school and outside of Tijuana. I wasn't in fun parts of Mexico. I was actually in a place called El Nino. It's a city built on top of the dump outside of Tijuana. Literally, during our time there, you're sitting in houses with people and outside the garbage trucks are dumping the waste from the city right in the pits next to their home. They don't have plumbing. And yet thousands of people live in this spot. When we got to the airport afterwards, on our way home, the people running security took our shoes, sprayed them with Lysol, put them in bags, sprayed the bags with Lysol, threw them in the trash, and made us fly barefoot. Because your feet were that nasty. It was that bad. And so I picture that, I think of that, I remember that smell every single time I read this. Because that is not the job anybody wants to do, is to clean the feet. And it's not just feet. You have to realize this is the Passover. Everyone has been traveling to Jerusalem. The road that they've been walking down has been packed with people and animals. It's nasty. It's gross. They don't want anything to do with it. And as they're arguing, as they're trying to figure out who should do it, Jesus stands up, he takes off his robe. He ties an apron around his waist, picks up a towel, grabs a basin of water, and starts to wash their feet. The Savior of the world, the one who who just a little bit before has, has told a storm to stop, and it did. The one who has called people to step out of death to life. The one who is raising people to life in front of them. The one who is taking bread and fish and multiplying it in ways they don't even understand. And he's now on his knees washing their feet, doing the job that the lowest servant was supposed to do because they had no status. They didn't have a choice, and they didn't want to do it. The worst job. Now, we don't wash each other's feet today, but there are jobs that we have that we like, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to have to be part of that. It's, it's the jobs that we get probably most annoyed about. Seriously, you're calling me again. You need help again if you just get your life together. I wouldn't have to come pick you up. 
I wouldn't have to take care of you in this. Oh my goodness, every time I have to go help this person, they talk to me forever. I understand they're lonely, but I don't have time for this. Sounds horrible, and yet it's what we do, isn't it? But it's time for us to wake up and realize we've got to wash each other's feet. Jesus said, just as you've seen me do this, you should do it for each other. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. He didn't say I've given you an example to think about, to ponder, to be taught on, to follow. He says, because you understand these things, the Father will bless you when you do them. You understand these things. You understand the call to serve. You understand that we need to be willing to do this. And when we do it, God blesses us. He fulfills us. He draws us together and brings together the church in a way that nothing else can through our willingness to serve, even in the things that we don't want to do, even in the things that are just no one wants and yet are needed to be done. We have a lot of opportunities in this church to serve, a ton of opportunities. Our children's ministry is always needing help. But like I said at the beginning, before you commit, make sure you can commit. Because it's the worst thing on a Sunday morning when Amy's trying to get things ready and people are checking their kids in to get that text saying, I'm not coming today, and you were supposed to be in charge of everything. It's horrible. It's hard. It's difficult because now she has to just wing it and hope that it works. It's difficult. So don't, don't commit before you've taken time to set up proper self-care. But when you have, commit. Get involved. There's huge fulfilling things in that, not just with Amy, but with Keisha and our Limitless Ministry for special needs kids. We need buddies to come alongside them, to love on them in ways they don't get often, most places that they go. And they need it, and it's huge, and it's fulfilling here. Our youth ministry always has needs. If you've ever been around teenagers, you understand. We always have needs. I've got a need coming up here. We have a winter retreat and all of my faithful leaders who are there every week, they're working, many of them, and they can't come to our weekend retreat. I need, I need some men that can come and we're willing to sleep in a stinky room with a bunch of middle school boys. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna tell you it's the most wonderful experience trying to sleep there, but the rest of the weekend is. It's incredible and it's worth it. It's worth it. And so we need that help. We've had 80 people come to Christ as a result of what's going on in our youth ministry this year. It's incredible. But we need people to disciple them. I can't do it all. I have students discipling students. I've got leaders discipling students. I need someone to disciple my leaders. I have other students that are still not being discipled and they have no idea how to take their first steps of faith. We need you. We need you. There's huge need. Outside of the youth ministry, we have a discipleship program starting up here in our church, and we need you to step up and disciple people. It's needed in this body to help people start moving from just being a believer to a true follower and then a disciple maker. We need you. We have a greeting ministry that goes on out here. And, and you may look and say, is that really that important that we like shake hands and hand out bulletins and things? I'll just tell you this. Six years ago, a little over six years ago, my wife and I walked into this church for the first time. We walked in. And we, we were just visiting. And as we walked through the door, the love that was poured on us from people who had no idea who we are was incredible. Before we even made it into the sanctuary, we were like, man, this feels like home. Janae said to me after the service, hey, if there is a, if there's ever a time that God opens the door and calls us to consider Mitchell Berean, we're going. And I was like, okay. So when the door opened a few years later, it was like, okay, what do we do? And she's like, I already told you, right? So it's, but it was amazing that that was the ministry that drew us in. 
And we have a, we're really getting that amped up right now. And the, the need, there's a specific need. It's not that we don't need adults in this, but we need high schoolers and college students. You know why? Because it's really awkward when the guy who's trying too hard is the one greeting you at the door, right? Where it's like a college student walks in, I'm like, well, hey there, college student. Like, it's, it's weird. But when you walk over and say, I have you in class, I see you on campus, they're like, oh, good, somebody I can actually talk to. High schoolers, we need you to identify. Other high schoolers coming in, we need you. Get involved in this. Others of you, we need you in that ministry still, but there was that specific need. I thought I'd mention it here. We, we need this. Our worship ministry needs people to beat things on the stage with sticks. It's fun. We need it. We need people who are willing to be part of what's going on up here, and we need people on the cameras. You may look and say, are the cameras that important? They're not important until you're sick and you're stuck at home or you're out of town or something's come up and you couldn't make it. And then you're like, I'm really glad we have the cameras and we have a team of people sitting in a room right now that don't get to go to service this weekend because they're making sure that service is out there for those who couldn't be here. And not just them, but there's another church right now that that has been joining us in this series. It's Solid Rock Bible Church in Chapel, Nebraska. It's a church that's dear to my heart because I got to help plant this church And they've been joining us in this series. And so I told them, I'd give them a little shout out. (laughs) But what's amazing is that we have a team right now that is serving in a way that is blessing this body and another body just down the road that needs the encouragement. And we have needs there. If you were here last night, you'd have seen us running around right before service going, okay, who can do this? Who can do this? Hey, you want to try this? Hey, come do this. We have needs there. We need you. There's so many places to get involved. Don't push it aside and say, oh, you know, they probably have enough people. We need you. Because I look at it and say, if we run out of room for the people in the ministries we have, God will bring up other ministries for you to serve in. But he's gonna wait until you're ready. He's gonna wait until you're willing to step up. And so I ask you, step up. We need you. This body needs you. This valley needs you. We have another opportunity Today we get to hear from one of our missionaries as we close. He's going to share with us an opportunity coming up to be part of a ministry that is vital in our current culture. We need this. And we as a church have an opportunity to come alongside them. And so I'd ask as we close, I'm going to close in prayer. And then then as we close our service together listening and going through this day, would you just listen and hear the opportunity? Get involved. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and how it calls us into serving and serving with the right heart. Serving with the heart that is to glorify you and to see, God, your body built up for the purpose of your glory, for the purpose of the people outside of the church seeing something different, seeing something that would draw them into the truth and giving and building opportunities, God, for us to share the truth of the gospel. God, would you please help us to be a church that steps up that stops riding the old wave and starts making new ones. God, that we would step forward in a season of faithfulness that we can clearly see you leading and directing us in, God. Speak to our hearts. Help us to understand how you've gifted us. And then, God, open the doors for us to step in and serve. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.